0: Welcome to the Left Hand Church Podcast. My name's Paula Stone-Williams, and I'm one of the co-pastors here. We're so glad that you're with us. We love having you join us here at Left Hand, we would love it if you would join us in a financial way as well. You can text any amount to 84321, and we'll receive it. You also can go to our website, lefthandchurch.org, and you can find out there how you can donate. Every time we begin a service, we begin with these words. Married, divorced, and single here, it's one family that mingles here. Conservative and liberal here, we've all got to give a little here. Big and small here, there's room for us all here. Doubt and belief here, we all can receive here. LGBTQ and straight here, there is no hate here. Woman, non-binary, and man here, everyone can here. Whatever your race here, for all of us, grace here. In imitation of the ridiculous love Almighty God has for each of us and all of us, let us live and love without labels.
1: Welcome to our first Sunday of Advent. I'm Nicole and I am the Connection Pastor here. Um, Over the next four weeks, we are going to be settling into the annual Advent cycle of centering our hearts in preparation for the coming of Jesus into our world on Christmas Day. Along with the Epiphany, Lent, Easter, and Pentecost, the season of Advent is part of the traditional liturgical year, or more simply put, the traditional church calendar, which dates back over 1,500 years. And while I hate to break it to any traditionalists in the room, it's not actually widely believed that Jesus was born on December 25th, or even in December at all given the shepherds in the fields with their flocks and the traveling required for the census that brought Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, it's much more likely that Jesus was born in warmer months. So why do we celebrate Christmas in December? Well, we celebrate the birth of Jesus around the same time as a Roman pagan holiday that celebrated both the winter solstice and the birthday of the Roman sun god named Sol Invictus which translates loosely to invisible, I'm sorry, not invisible, invincible sun. December 25th was celebrated as the birthday of the invincible sun. This solstice-focused festival was a time of merrymaking when people decorated their homes with wreaths and other greenery and visited family and friends to exchange gifts. Doesn't sound so different, does it? The winter solstice itself falls when the Earth's pole closest to our hemisphere reaches its maximum tilt away from the sun, resulting in the shortest days and longest nights of the year. It's a season that's defined by darkness. And I'm going to talk more about this in a minute, but I believe that it's human and good to lean into that literal and metaphorical darkness at this time of year. And it's also healthy to need to seek out the light and warmth and community with others. But back to Advent for a minute. The first mention of Advent is actually found in writings dating back to around the 6th century with some anecdotal mentions maybe 380 years after the death of Jesus. It was originally a time of preparation for baptism, and it was only over time and relatively recently that it became connected to the coming of Christ. Now Advent is the four Sundays that precede Christmas, and it's focused almost entirely on the birth of Jesus. And generally the themes that we focus on in Advent teachings are hope, preparation, joy, and love. Tonight I'm going to focus on hope, specifically the hope that was gifted to us by a God who came to dwell among us and experience what it is to be fully human, and the hope that we get to hold in this season defined by darkness for each other. I'm going to read two passages from the book of Isaiah that speak to me of the hope that the promise of Jesus represented. Isaiah was the first of the major prophets in the Hebrew Bible, and it's thought that the passages I'm about to read were written about eight centuries before the birth of Christ. So this is a book of promises made 800 years before Christ would come. The book of Isaiah can be read as an extended meditation on the destiny of Jerusalem into and out of the exile of the Jewish people. It lays out God's plan and promises for the coming of a Messiah. It's a book of hope for people that were enduring a dark time. And I'm gonna read a few of those verses that speak of that hope. Some of which Heather Lynn read a little bit of first, so you get it twice. Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. And she will give birth to a son, and she will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1, 2, and 6. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep. Deep darkness a light has dawned for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders he will be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father Prince of Peace I want you to listen to those names with me one more time Emmanuel God is with us wonderful counselor everlasting father Prince of Peace what promises these were of who was to come Jesus our own invincible son now that we've dealt for a few minutes on what advent is in the traditional church calendar i want to change tack a little bit and talk about what advent can be for many of us outside of these four sundays It's the darkest season of the year. And I don't just mean the tyrannical combo of daylight savings time and the North Pole tilting away from the sun. It can also be an emotionally dark time for many of us. And for those of you for whom it is the most wonderful time of the year, this part isn't totally for you, but I hope the message will release shame and contain hope for someone that you love. So stick with me. Why do the holidays... Why can the holidays feel so hard? Well, for one, our expectations and the reality of our holiday experiences can be pretty far out of alignment. It's about expectations. My kids love a good rainy day. They're usually pretty intense doers out in their worlds, but rainy days give them permission to lower expectations, stay in their PJs, read books, play cards by the fire, And Christmas, this Christmas season, is like the opposite of a rainy day. The expectations of what this season is supposed to be and feel like are so high. There's this well-meaning onslaught of carefully curated Christmas family photos and social posts that give the impression that others all around us truly have picture-perfect holiday situations. And this is a myth that any mom who has pulled off a Christmas photo shoot with toddlers can tell you. It's a lot of people trying to look their best, make good memories. But there's a fair amount of pageantry involved in this month. For some, the holidays are an acute reminder that our families of origin are less than functional or less than caring or lost to us. And for others, this specific year has been a really hard year. I know 2021 was a doozy for a lot of us here in this room, and a lot of us got through the year before that saying, oh, by next Christmas, this pandemic will be past us. And it's better, but it's not quite past us yet. And for those of us who do brave, our less-than-picture-perfect family gatherings, there's this expectation that they're supposed to be all connection and sparkle and light and easy, but instead can turn out to be reminders of old hurts, combined with too much eggnog, and a realization that it's hard to be back in a place that you've grown so far from. And listen, no family is perfect, even the functional ones. Even the chosen families, even a gathering of the closest of friends does not ensure that we're all in the same mood, same temperament, or that we're going through the same external pressures at the same time. And while it's a season that calls us relentlessly to be merry and bright, it's also healthy to acknowledge that this is a season that calls many of us to sadness and longing and grief. And there's no shame in that for me. One thing that I celebrate deeply each Advent is that the God who came and dwelt among us in human form also felt the full range of human emotion. In the words of the Episcopal priest and theologian Barbara Brown Taylor, I have learned things in the dark that I could have never learned in the light, things that have saved my life over and over again so that there really is only one logical conclusion. I need darkness as much as I need light. So if you fall into this category, you're not a Grinch, you're not a broken bird, you're just fully human, and you're navigating a season of glitter and high expectations, and so much beautiful darkness, and there is value and learning in both. So in that spirit, I'd like us to look at Advent as a seasonal cycle of looking for hope. I'm gonna rip the wrapping paper off of my own childhood Christmas cycle and tell you a light but also dark thing that I come back to time after time. First off, I'm a Christmas baby. My birthday comes right on the heels of Jesus's birthday. And until I went to kindergarten and was told otherwise, I believed my dad when he told me that everybody decorated their house with lights for my birthday. (laughs) and I credit my relatively healthy ego strength with believing that, like rock solid, for four years. My parents split up when I was really young. and That's not a pity party. Their divorce was actually a very healthy thing for both of them. But it made our holidays a little logistically tricky and long. My childhood Christmas was a roughly 30-hour sugar and eggnog-fueled blur in scratchy tights. It started with an annual Christmas Eve party at my godmother Judy's house where I would try to make friends with her dog by sneaking it meatballs. (laughs) You'll get a theme here if you were at the animal service. And I also got a little tipsy on tiny glasses of what I now know was highly spiked eggnog and not delicious melted ice cream punch that the adults were selfishly hoarding for themselves. And the dog and I sometimes both got a little sick and usually fell asleep together on the couch. And then we'd be back home by 11 o'clock to put on those scratchy tights and head to midnight mass, which was an hour and a half of candles and kneeling and intense incense finished off by one amazing Irish tenor of a man who never failed to give me full body goosebumps singing the closing hymn, Oh Holy Night. Then it was back home, theoretically to bed by about 2 a.m. with some super comfy juice can curlers in my hair for maximum angelic effect on Christmas morning. And that was usually followed by some middle-of-the-night shenanigans with my big brother, which I'm gonna come back to more in a minute. And then we'd wake up early to open Christmas gifts with one parent. And then we'd get picked up right after that to have Christmas morning with the other parent. And sometimes we would throw in a bonus Christmas morning service for extra fun and scratchy tight wearing. And then we would drive an hour to Christmas lunch with one large set of aunts, uncles, and cousins where they would sing me and the baby Jesus happy birthday. And then they would give me birthday presents that were wrapped in Christmas paper, which I'm going to go ahead and tell you is not okay my fellow Christmas babies out there know this deeply, and now the rest of you know it, so you have no excuses for your friends that have birthdays this month. Use the birthday paper, people. It's very important to us. And then we'd switch off parents, usually in like a McDonald's parking lot somewhere on Philadelphia's main line, and we'd drive another hour to Christmas dinner with another large set of aunts and uncles and cousins, where between the two Christmas meals, There were five to six different versions of green bean casserole served, and I mastered the art of of mixing a pretty mean old-fashioned by the age of five. (laughs) Like I had a preferred brand of bitters, and I had perfected the art of muddling when I was five. Um, And then we'd usually land home at about midnight, and that was 30 hours of Christmas. And it was a lot, even when everything would be went really well, which it sometimes and spectacularly did not. And out of respect for the efforts made by all of my loved ones who could be listening to this sermon, I'm not going to dwell on those details, because what came out of even those spectacularly not great Christmases made something pretty beautiful in the end. When I think back, through my suitcase of Christmas memories, the hustle and the bustle and the bitters, to what essentially the spirit of Christmas was for me, it was my brother. Time after time, year after year, it was the way that my brother made sure Christmas was okay for me, even when that should not have been his job, even when I'm quite sure Christmas was not that okay for him, and how even to this day, we continue to make sure Christmas is okay for each other. Starting around 4 in the morning, keep in mind I went to bed at 2 in the morning. At 4 in the morning, every Christmas, I would pad down to his bedroom in my footy pajamas and I would wake him up. And he would sit with me silently and we would watch the Christmas lights on the tree and in the windows and sometimes the magic of snow falling against all of that. And we had this little church that you could, it lit up, and you could wind it, and it would play Silent Night. And so we would unplug it, and we would take it where it wouldn't wake the adults in the house, and then we would, we would kind of arrange our presents around it, and we would squeeze and poke all the wrapped gifts. And then we would open our stockings, which we had permission to do, and then we would eat an obscene amount of middle-of-the-night chocolate. <laughs> And he was really the first person that it ever occurred to me to give a Christmas gift to. It was a very prized and large seashell, which he dutifully kept on display in his room the entire next year, and then wrapped up and gave it back to me, much to my great relief, because I had deep regret about giving it away. (laughs) And it was with him that I snuck out and walked down to the 24-hour Wawa to buy gifts for my mother. The year that we realized in the middle of the night that she didn't have any presents under the tree with her name on it. And it occurred to us that maybe that was our job. And let me tell you if you're ever in a pinch, 24 hour Wawa's have quite a Christmas Eve selection of blue eyeshadow like the frosted kind, Jean Nate body spray, and Lip Smackers lip gloss. She was a lucky woman that Christmas, especially because I insisted on applying all of it to her before we left for Christmas family meals. My brother was ultimately the person who also shielded me when Christmases weren't so great. One memorable year, he took me out to see, of all things, the Beavis and Butthead movie in an empty movie theater on Christmas morning. And since Sean so vulnerably shared last week about his thanksgiving love for the movie Pieces of April, today I'm standing before you telling you that Beavis and Butthead hold a very special Christmas place in my heart. (laughs) Because in the backdrop of that movie, my brother bought me popcorn and candy, and helped me understand why we didn't actually need to call the other parent and tell them what was going on. And looking back, it was a gift to leave them out of it because even at that young age, he understood it was Christmas for everyone. And Christmas can be hard for anyone. It can be magical and cousin-filled and it can also be dark and heavy. And years later, I'm up here preaching on the hope that we get to be for each other at Christmas. So I'd say he made it turn out pretty okay. We didn't need to make it harder for anybody else because we had and still have the gift of each other, time after time. And for the two of us, Advent became a cycle of hope, hoping that things were going to be great that year. And if it wasn't, it was a cycle of making it pretty okay for each other. And in doing so, we became the people who each of us looks to first when we feel lost. We were and continue to be lights for each other in a darkness that we've both learned to freely acknowledge. And that's the best Christmas gift I could ever have asked for. And so what I wanna leave you with at the start of this cycle of hope and waiting and joy and love is that we get to be that gift for each other here in this community. We don't have to deny any of our feelings to also dwell in hope. There's hope to be found in knowing that God came and felt fully what it is to be human, and God came to be with us, and God is with us still. God sees past the shiny Christmas cards and the parties to the beautiful mix of darkness and light that makes up each and every one of us. And we get to show each other that God remains here, co-creating with us right here in this community. In the words of my favorite living poet, Andrea Gibson, we get to be each other's angels of the get-through. As they said, friend, this is what we do. We gather each other up. We say, this cup is half yours and half mine. We say that alone is the last place you will ever be. You are part of a community that chooses to dwell in hope and explore darkness with each other. You are a light in a freely acknowledged darkness for someone here. Now, that said, some of these days, you might feel like the sparkling embodiment of Christmas cheer, and we want you to be that, too. Other days, you might need a little more help and companionship, helping that darkness turn to gray. But honestly, sometimes showing someone how you actually are is a gift of light to them, because it normalizes our ability to be real with each other. Because here is a place where we come, exactly as we are, to learn how to love. So stick around tonight for friends giving. Help us decorate our tree and eat the rest of our collective green bean casseroles, please, because I don't want to eat any more of mine. Grab the name of one of our global members off the tree here and mail them a little secret Santa love. If you need a little midweek warmth, you can drop into our weekly prayer gathering Um, which is over Zoom, so you can do it in your Christmas PJs if you want to. You can come and sit quietly in community and with God in this chapel for our December 9th contemplative service or via Zoom from your living room the following week for our online contemplative service. We want you to come to our Christmas party potluck and open mic night after the service on the 12th where Tyra is going to be singing and hopefully lots of other people are going to share a favorite Christmas story or Christmas song. You can even lead us in like caroling. You don't have to be uh, a Tyra level singer, although I'm super excited to hear her. Um come to our Christmas Eve service. Our kids are gonna put on a very short narrated mini pageant, like under five minutes, and I am trying really hard to convince Christy to cast her dog as our innkeeper. Can we hear it for Finn? Who wants Finn in the pageant? <laughs> I encourage you to reach out for a warm drink with a friend, old or new here, and tell each other your Christmas stories, the sparkly ones, the dark ones. Make new Christmas stories right here, right now. And you can ask any one of us on staff for some pastoral care time. It's a really holy thing to get to hold that space for you in that way. And if you need more support, uh, Paula can and will recommend some really awesome therapists. And I hope you lean in and find that time after time, this cup at this table truly is half yours and half mine, and alone is the last place you ever have to be in all this darkness as we give thanks for the God who came to dwell fully with us. Please pray with me. God, thank you for coming to be with us. Thank you for being with us still. Thank you for this cycle of hope that we celebrate this advent. And we ask you to bless the breaking of cycles that no longer serve us. Thank you for our messy and beautiful mixes of light and darkness. Time after time, we ask you, use us for good and use it all for love. Amen.
0: This is John Gaddis. I'm one of the co-pastors here at Left Hand Church. As you listen to this teaching, we hope it was a reminder that the love of God is bigger, more inclusive, and filled with more grace than any of us can imagine. There is truly room for us all here. If you have any questions about Left Hand Church or this teaching, please email me at john at lefthandchurch.org. You can also tune into our live stream services on our church Facebook page every Sunday at 5 p.m. Mountain for great music and original teachings. Thank you for joining us.